folks, it's me, Curbside Larry from the Harris County Public Library down in Houston, Texas. And you're listening to Call Number with American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association. So stick around. The Call Number podcast team has got a great show coming up for you. Thanks, Curbside Larry. I'm Diana Penential, Associate Editor of American Libraries and host of Call Number. It's been three years since COVID-19 brought the country to a standstill. In March 2020, the pandemic shuttered library buildings and prompted staffers to shift programming and priorities for a changing world. This episode, we're hearing from three libraries that expanded, pivoted, and reimagined their offerings to reach the community members who needed their services most. First, editor and publisher Sanhita Sinaroy talks with John Schaefer, the voice behind Curbside Larry, the character who went viral for his infomercial-style videos for curbside services at Harris County Public Library in Houston. Then, managing editor Tara Dankowski speaks with Ray Baker, director of Miami-Dade Public Library System in Florida, about the drive-up Wi-Fi initiative the library started in the early days of the pandemic. Finally, I chat with Julie Curry, principal of John K. Hubbard Elementary School in Noble, Oklahoma, and Courtney Giroux, signature services coordinator of Shawnee Public Library. The two are behind Sunday Stars, a tutoring program at Pioneer Library System, which serves Cleveland, McCain, and Pottawatomie counties in Oklahoma, that's helping elementary school students recover from COVID-19 learning loss. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. ALA Joblist is the number one source for jobs in library and information science and technology. If you're looking for a new job or are an employer who wants to advertise a job opening, Joblist has you covered. Job seekers can refine and filter searches by position type, employer, location, and more, post their resumes for hiring employers to view, and automate alerts to never miss a posting. Employers can rest easy knowing that ALA reaches the engaged professionals that you want to hire. It also simplifies recruiting by offering flat rate pricing and enhanced postings for increased visibility. ALA Joblist. It's where job seekers and employers get results. Visit joblist.ala.org for more information or to begin your search today. You may remember Curbside Larry, that loud, lovable, car salesman-like pitch man for Harris County Public Library in Houston, Texas. Larry has been online since the pandemic, touting curbside service and offerings available at the library. And in 2020, his videos went viral. The voice behind Larry is John Schaefer, Program Production Specialist at Barbara Bush Branch Library. He spoke with editor and publisher Sanhina Sinaroy about what Larry meant and continues to mean for all of us during these times. John, tell us a little bit about Curbside Larry and how the idea for his character was conceived. Well, uh, it was early in the pandemic and we had obviously uh, we'd been shut the library system shut down and then we the building had opened up and we were starting curbside, you know, uh, curbside service. But nobody you couldn't get the word out. You know, nobody nobody really knew about it. And so it was honestly one of those things we were sitting around looking at each other going, what are we uh, what are we doing? (laughs) What are we? We got to do something here. And we, the idea of a commercial came up. And of course, then you run through the, you know, we don't have enough money to do a commercial. How can we do one on the cheap? And, and, and I can't remember how the idea actually started to formulate of like a used car salesman, kind of a, a, one of those local commercials. But uh, 
it did. And we, uh, we just kind of threw it together and uh, it, uh, it really was very quick when it came. <laughs> if, you, if you go back and look at the original, you can tell it was pretty quick. <laughs> now, a, a lot of people will wonder, are you anything like Larry? Well, uh, we're both passionate about libraries. I'll say that. Uh, I, I would say I'm maybe a little, uh, just a small amount less loud. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, uh, he was, the character of Larry was kind of, um, uh, I've always been a big fan of uh, these local uh, TV, you know, kind of a uh, um, uh, personalities that you'll see like for, you know, in, in Texas, we have these, you know, these lawyer guys that, come, you know, they come on, you know, the, uh, or uh, some different used cars people. Also, there was a uh, there was a news broadcaster in Houston called Marvin Zindler who who did the restaurant reports back in the day, and I always loved those guys where it was just uh, you know they had they just all they had was volume and and enthusiasm and uh, that sold everything. So uh, that was kind of where I just always kind of thought that was a, a funny idea, and we uh, we went with that. Were there other ideas you guys floated around? You know, I mean, I'm sure there were at the time. Uh, I, I'm sure we had, you know, as with all creative things, we'll come up with a million different ideas. But, you know, inevitably, especially in the library world, it's like, what's the easy, what's the easiest, quickest way we can do this? <laughs> what it, What's cheap and peppy? That's the, uh, oh, there's no line, there's a line from a movie uh, that uh, cheap and peppy. That's what we loved. <laughs> so the hat and the, the Elvis glasses, as you were telling me, those are your own. Those are. Original. They are. They are. As a matter of fact, I, uh, I had the hat. Um, I actually bought the hat in Los Angeles and in, uh, in Santa Monica uh, at a costume store for a character I was doing in a play years and years ago. So I had that in my back pocket. And then the glasses, I can't even remember. I think I had them as a, a, a joke or a costume. And, you know, it was, again, it was one of those things I went home and I'm like, what would be what can I do to, you know, uh, uh, come up with some something that, something that was easy but uh, uh, iconic? And uh, the glasses, of course, were you know larger than life with Elvis and the hat. Well, you know, it's a it's a great hat. We're in Texas, so and that's how that's how it fell together. So you used to do plays. Are you a theater kid? Um, well, I was, I, I was an actor. I uh, I pursued uh, acting uh, professionally for about. 20 years in uh, Los Angeles. So uh, I was working out there and I would, you know, get a, a I have a, a long list of short, small parts. <laughs> Anything we would know? Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, uh, once people get to know me and they, uh, they hear me, they usually, they can, they'll, uh, they'll occasionally recognize me in syndication now. I mean, I'd add a little, uh, you know, little bits on like the office or the West wing or, uh, Superstore, or what's, what are the other ones that get people? They're Arrested Development. And there's a few different ones. I mean, there's, you know, like I said, all of them are very one episode or two episode parts that, uh, um, oh yeah, True Blood, Nancy's probably, that was in, that was a, a neat one too, so. <laughs> now, given all of this experience that you've had, were you surprised that about going viral with Curbside yes. Theory and all the attention that the library was getting, um, you know, especially during the pandemic with this character? Sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, we had at the time uh, uh, the Barbara Bush Branch Library had about twenty five hundred Facebook followers. And honestly, I was like, if we get two thousand five hundred views, that would have been I would have been as happy as a clam. And we would have because we would have reached everybody who we thought we could have reached. Uh, so absolutely. It was a, um, a surprise. 
uh, to me anyway. Um, it was it was a, amazing how it just kind of blew up all of a sudden, and it was really a, a kind of a fun a fun ride. <laughs> now, did it translate into more people using curbside service? It did. It did. It really did. Of course, uh, uh, it went out uh, once it got viral and it blew up. I mean, it, uh, it you know, it was everywhere for a while. And we'd have to do uh, local news and national news and uh, timing was amazing on it, how it all worked out. But uh, it, I think there was I think I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I want to say it was like a 15 percent or 20 percent increase uh, in, in checkouts. And so it, it really did it did exactly what we had hoped it would. Uh, it kind of got the word out and uh, everybody knew we were, you know, open for business. So you mentioned the community response and national response. How about the library community response as well? Well, that was the best one. I mean, I think libraries liked it more than anybody else. We, we heard back from libraries literally around the world from Australia to Europe. Uh, you know, they would uh, uh, make comments on Twitter or Facebook or YouTube and, it was it was really neat. And I, and I look back now and I, I, I've given it a lot of thought as to why it was as successful as it was. And I can come up, I've come up with a couple of things. One was the big one was timing. I think uh, it, it hit right at a period when as the pandemic got going, we had nothing but bad news. There was just nothing but bad news going on. And when we wrote Curbside Larry, when we put it together, like I didn't want it to be political. I didn't want it to be in any way, like, uh, uh, take a side or an opinion. I kind of wanted the library, you know, uh, a stance of anything. We're just here to provide the information. Um, and so we kept to was, so it was just, it was fun. It was just a fun little spot. And so I think people needed a little, like, it, you know, something, and there's a little bit of a uh, pandering, I think. I mean, uh, all of a sudden people are at home, they're reading more, they have some time to think about it. And they, uh, they think back to, you know, when they're uh, as a kid going to a library and how much everybody loves a library and you might forget about it in your daily life or some people have. And, you know, they uh, all of a sudden they were reminded like, oh, yeah, this still exists. And these are things that, you know, uh, uh, celebrate humanity that we can be a part of. And it just kind of touched a nerve at the right time, I think. Um, that That's the only thing I can come up with. Uh, 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 I mean, you know, other than, you know, the, the sheer talent that uh, comes from me, but... <laughs> <laughs> so clearly that was not it so i had <laughs> well i mean your character has been called an unlikely hero during these uncertain times so it's interesting to hear why you think it really resonated with with a lot of folks yeah i mean uh, uh an unlikely sure yeah unlikely it was it completely was unlikely for anybody and also i think you know there never had to my knowledge there never was uh anybody advertising libraries in that way before. I mean, like right now, I mean, uh, you can't, uh, you know, get on social media without, or at least I can't, you cannot see something to do with a library popping up in your stream, which is amazing. And I, and I love it. I mean, of course, in Harris County, we've got a, you know, TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and, you know, like every other industry, uh, the pandemic, you know, launched our, you know, our virtual uh, um, uh, existence and like a whole new, uh, uh, you know, uh, area of it. But um yeah, as far as the hero goes, you know, I mean, it's, I think the library is the hero. There you go. It'll, it'll be here way after, way a lot longer than I will and uh, has been here before. So, well, does Curbside Larry plan to continue making appearances and does he plan to hang up his hat anytime soon? 
You know, we're uh, we're still filming curbside Larry stuff. Like I mentioned, our TikTok, you can see uh, uh, some videos there. It's kind of goes through, you know, uh, you know, I'll get busy. I also I'm working here at the you know library and we do all sorts of other projects as one as 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 luck. The good news is we're very, very busy again. And so there's all sorts of other programs I'm working on. And, you know, we go. But uh, but it's absolutely curbside. Larry is is uh, is still here. He's uh, you can find him on our TikTok um harris county public library also uh instagram facebook all those uh social medias and uh as long as uh it, it does the you know gets the word out about libraries curbside layers still be here so <laughs> ala job list is the number one source for jobs in library and information science and technology if you're looking for a new job or are an employer who wants to advertise a job opening, Joblist has you covered. Job seekers can refine and filter searches by position type, employer, location, and more, post their resumes for hiring employers to view, and automate alerts to never miss a posting. Employers can rest easy knowing that ALA reaches the engaged professionals that you want to hire. It also simplifies recruiting by offering flat rate pricing and enhanced postings for increased visibility. ALA Joblist. It's where job seekers and employers get results. Visit joblist.ala.org for more information or to begin your search today. Miami-Dade Public Library System in Florida launched its Drive Up Wi-Fi initiative in June 2020, initially providing Wi-Fi access for 240 parking spaces across the county. Managing Editor Terry Dankowski speaks with Ray Baker, the library's director, on how the program has expanded and continues to meet the needs of patrons. Miami-Dade Public Library System started its Drive Up Wi-Fi initiative in June 2020. Now, this was a time uh, when libraries were making critical decisions about how to allocate resources to reach those most affected by the digital divide. So my first question is, how did your library decide that an outdoor Wi-Fi program was right for your community? And who did the library intend to reach? And how was it decided to launch the program at 24 of the library's 50 locations? Sure. So, you know, really out of necessity and specifically that necessity being closed, you know, during COVID, you know, came some invention. And we knew that we already had a robust IT network throughout our branches. And we knew that we had a few locations where the Wi-Fi was already reaching outside of our buildings. But working with our information technology department, you know, we were able to map out a plan to amplify the signal even further outside our buildings and into our parking lots. And we also knew that people, even pre-COVID, you know, were using our Wi-Fi outside of the building and sometimes in our parking lots. But COVID-19 and, you know, being not only limited in our ability to have people come inside to use our computers, and all of the stories out there about how people were struggling for bandwidth inside their homes with parents and kids working and learning from home. You know, we knew making the drive up Wi-Fi more broadly available would be a valuable resource. And our audience was, you know, anyone who needed a Wi-Fi connection, whether to use library resources, participate in an online meeting, or do homework, you know, just to name a few examples. Yeah, and so the first iteration of drive-up Wi-Fi created 240 marked parking stalls across your county. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the nuts and bolts of the program? How did, how did it work in the early days of the pandemic? So how did people find you and then get online? And um, the second part to my question, were people without cars able to access Wi-Fi either through um, this program or another library initiative? 
Yeah, so yeah, I think people found us through all the typical ways that we push out information, you know, through our social media posts, through word of mouth, our newsletter, um, the, our county's media outlets and press releases, as well as, you know, signage and markings that we installed in our parking lots as part of the program, you know, kind of saying Wi-Fi enabled parking lot. And we also put some, uh, you know, painted some parking, some parking spaces to have like a Wi-Fi symbol that said Wi-Fi enabled. And, you know, as far as the car, and there was not necessarily a requirement to be in your car, you know, you could also be sitting on a bench near enough to the library to use the Wi-Fi. And, you know, that's something that was even happening before we amplified our Wi-Fi, but um, so it remained the way that we knew people, you know, would use Wi-Fi outside of the library. Yeah, and so in those early days, as, or, you know, as you kind of rolled out this program, what feedback did the library receive from community members who were using the Drive Up Wi-Fi program? And did their stories um, inform your library system's efforts to expand the initiative? So we definitely got a lot of great feedback and you know, unsolicited feedback is always you know, the best feedback sometimes and a lot of people posting on social media that, hey, this is so cool. But there was one great story from a library patron who told us about her job search and she said that she sat in her car during the pandemic and used our drive-up Wi-Fi to apply for jobs and eventually found one. And, you know, certainly those types of stories are motivating for us, um, but our desire to really expand the program was driven out of wanting to cover as wide a range of our geographic area as possible, you know, to ensure that we were covering as much of the county as we could in an equitable manner. And, you know, just to expand on that a little bit more, you know, when we first started it, we kind of, you know, cherry-picked the locations where, you know, we had an easily accessible parking lot right next to our building. But then for other locations where, you know, maybe the parking lot was not as close to the building, there's a little bit more work involved in amplifying the signal at those spots. So we wanted to get out to those locations as well. Yeah, and you mentioned the, you know, extending the geographic range. Um, I just want to note, you know, today the Drive Up Wi-Fi program has expanded to 1,660 Wi-Fi accessible parking spots at 36 locations throughout Miami-Dade County. And, you know, I just want to marvel at that number for a second. You know, the scope of this project is now huge. Um, so how did the library decide to apply for American Rescue Plan Act funds to broaden this program so significantly? And I think a second part to that question, are patrons still using this service today? Yeah, so this goes back a little bit to my prior answer, you know, in our desire, you know, applying for the grant funds, you know, our desire was to make the service broadly and equitably available. You know, but in applying for the ARPA funds specifically, you know, we knew we already had a proven and tested model with our initial rollout, and we knew that an expansion of that could be implemented fairly easily. And we also felt as far as a grant application, you know, something you have to consider when you're applying for grant funds is, is this something that's innovative and unique and will be well received? And, you know, we felt that showing that we already done this, you know, we've made it work, and that we're able to maximize the service availability on our property footprints in a unique way, we felt was a, you know, a very strong application to go after the ARPA funds. And as far as you know, our patrons, yes, patrons are still using this program today, um, especially with now, as you mentioned, 1,660 spots available. And you know, we're able to see on our Wi-Fi um, 
you know, in our cameras, which is tied to our you know, Wi-Fi monitors in terms of how many people are connecting to our Wi-Fi, you know, we see people connecting to our Wi-Fi at all hours of the day. So it's uh, pretty interesting sometimes to see people connecting to your Wi-Fi at 3 o'clock in the morning, it, but it's good to know that that is uh, people are finding for you use at it for it at that time. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, so three years after COVID-19, you know, brought this country to a standstill and laid so laid bare so many inequities, especially digital inequities. Um, do you think Miami-Dade County is now closer to bridging the digital divide? Um, and where might you see areas for improvement in your community? So, you know, starting my answer with just the library itself. You know, the pandemic really fast-forwarded a lot of initiatives for us in the area of digital equity. You know, not only through the drive-up Wi-Fi, but carrying that further with putting devices into people's hands uh, where people can take home devices that are already in internet enabled. You know, so really pushing that service out into people's homes and not just within the libraries. As well as things like our online tutoring and other online programming that became prevalent during the pandemic and stays with us, you know, now. You know, I guess, I guess we're all calling it post-pandemic now. But, um, and with our home delivery services. You know, I think all of this really fast forwarded um, how we're providing services to the home and not just within our buildings. But to the larger community at large, you know, our mayor, Daniela Levinkava, and our county has started an initiative focused on broadband and digital equity goals throughout Miami-Dade County. And, you know, the library is going to be a part of these efforts, but I think we are going to see more and more governments playing a more involved role in ensuring that broadband is going to actually find its way. And here in Miami-Dade, about 33% of our residents, you know, may not have access to broadband. And, you know, I think our county and our mayor really want to find a way to uh, do this, you know, with the library involved, but also at a much larger scale. ALA Joblist is the number one source for jobs in library and information science and technology. If you're looking for a new job or are an employer who wants to advertise a job opening, Joblist has you covered. Job seekers can refine and filter searches by position type, employer, location, and more, post the resumes for hiring employers to view, and automate alerts to never miss a posting. Employers can rest easy knowing that ALA reaches the engaged professionals that you want to hire. It also simplifies recruiting by offering flat rate pricing and enhanced postings for increased visibility. ALA Joblist. It's where job seekers and employers get results. Visit joblist.ala.org for more information or to begin your search today. To address pandemic learning loss, Pioneer Library System launched Sunday Stars, an after-school enrichment program in May 2022. I chatted with Julie Curry, principal of John K. Hubbard Elementary School in Noble, Oklahoma, and Courtney Giroux, Signature Services Coordinator of Shawnee Public Library, about the program's impact and how it can be scaled to different libraries. So let's get started with some introductions, and feel free to also let us know what role you played in making Sunday Stars come to life. I'm Courtney Giroux. I work as a Signature Services Coordinator for the Pioneer Library System. And I am physically located in the Shawnee Public Library, which is in Pottawatomie County in Oklahoma. And I was brought in to the Sunday Stars Project to act as the project lead. So I am the go-between, kind of the agent between 
administration and boots on the ground. So making things happen uh, is kind of my job. Um, I'm Julie Curry. I am the principal at Hubbard, John K. Hubbard Elementary in Noble, Oklahoma, which is uh, Cleveland County. I am also the board chair for the Pioneer Library System Board. And um, so that's that's how I kind of got involved with both parts of this is I'm on the board and um, we were talking about things. And then as a principal, I shared some needs that I felt like our school needed and we went from there. So glad to have you both on the podcast. So I'm wondering, what needs did you hope to address with this program? Well, when we first started talking about the program about a year or so ago, the board was actually trying to come up with some ideas because the Pioneer Library System was going to be getting together and, and doing their New Year initiative. And we were trying to come up with some plans of, of ways that that uh we felt as a board that they could be more influential in our communities. Not that they already aren't, they already do a great job with all the communities. And so we talked about how during COVID that we had a lot of students in our surrounding school districts that um, had not been to school. And so it's what we term as lack of instruction. They, they had missed out on a lot of core instruction and in reading and in math and, and these kiddos needed it. And so um, Pioneer Library just jumped on board with that and they had some resources of different things that they could do some grants. And uh, it was really Courtney and her crew that put it together to be able to do the different tutoring and not just Noble Public Schools, but it's also, and correct me if I'm wrong, Courtney, it's also Tecumseh Public Schools and is it Purcell? Mm -hmm. That's correct. And so they were able to put it together to be three different school districts. We launched a strategic plan in the last year and a half. And part of that strategic plan was to address community need, uh, that that be the primary thought when considering offering a program. And so um, those conversations happened at the board level with Julie and the other board members, but it happened with other community partners and uh by assessing through uh, a community needs assessment to see what are we seeing as the greatest needs that we can try to help uh, respond to through action by our strategic plan. So it started as a very administrative discussion, but then it got very micro level to see what can we actually do in response to these needs that we're hearing about. So your particular program is funded by ESSER grant funding available through the Oklahoma State Department of Education. And you also mentioned during your panel um, at the recent Libler Next conference that most of that funding goes to paying the certified teachers and teen ambassadors who lead your program. So I'm wondering how can libraries provide this program while scaling it for their own funding and resources? For our region, for Noble, if there weren't the, the ESSER funds or whatever, there's other grants that we would, we're always, you know, looking for grants to pay for things like this. And I know that the Pioneer Library System is too. Um, but then also local communities, uh, businesses, you know, different um, places in the community that, that help out, out with things. And uh then volunteers, we would have to probably, if we didn't have all the funds, I mean, you know, look for some volunteers to help with it. And it's amazing sometimes, you know, how, how 
how many volunteers you can find when it comes to helping students learn how to read? Um, in terms of scaling, it really depends on so many different factors for libraries. So I would consider who are your existing partners? So are you already working with churches, businesses, uh, other nonprofit entities? Do you have grant streams available uh, through your local funds or state funds? Um, I would definitely encourage everyone to be knowledgeable about State Department of Education funding in your area because libraries do fall under a lot of that funding purpose. So though it can feel scary or overwhelming to be looking at all that information, leverage your community partnerships, including your school contacts, because like Julie has talked about, they have so much information that they have access to that can be helpful in making those decisions on behalf of a library as well. So I totally agree with Julie. There may be opportunity for volunteers to be involved in the program and to consider if you want to incentivize in some other way to pay stipends instead of an overall salary. So if you can say by agreeing to help with this program for six months, you are paid a one-time stipend during that time. Um, and that might be more feasible if you have some funds available, but maybe not a huge allotment of funding to pay on a continuous basis like that. You created this program as a partnership between the local school districts and the local public library. How did you envision working together and how can librarians reach out to their schools to begin a program like this? Well, I know for, for my school, um, I think it's important that the public librarians reach out to the school librarians because they have that common that common thread of, of books you know um, but uh, that's usually the best way principals are usually pretty busy and you know they have other things but I would recommend that the school that the public librarian reach out to the school librarian and, and create a relationship there um, and you know volunteer to do things at the school I know that at our school we do like reading clubs and they have authors come in and reach our third graders I mean just different things like that just start that relationship um, between the two entities and I mean and it grows from there. I think, uh, you know, I, I agree with what Julie is saying that if you're already in a school to start having these conversations with those contacts and say, what are you seeing in your students? What is a need that you are not able to address on your own? And how can we come together and, and put effort toward addressing those needs? One of the most detrimental relationships for public libraries are schools and they need us. I mean, there is, there is no way around saying that then that is the most um, impactful partnership that we could possibly have is with a school district. So, and that was a major goal of this program was if we can catch these students during the time period in which we could have a positive impact in the long run. So that's why the first through third grade age range was chosen because those were the kids who were the most heavily impacted by COVID. So children who were in kindergarten, first grade through COVID who did not have that typical school experience. If we're gonna invest money and time and effort into this, we want the impact to be as great as possible. I always joke that all I need is to convince one teacher, <laughs> one teacher that it's beneficial because then they are 
great champions of the library. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they will be telling all of their teacher friends how amazing it was to have you come in their classroom and do a STEM activity or reading club. And we want those connections to be strong. What feedback or responses have you received from parents or students regarding the program? Noble, it's been a very, very positive experience and and even had some parents at the beginning that were a little reluctant because it is on Sunday afternoons, you know, and that takes time to have to drive their student to the library and and but what they have found is is they've had time themselves to experience the library and to get to know what um, opportunities they could have of things to do at the library while their students are, are getting tutoring. And so it's it's been a, a very positive in Noble. I've heard all positives from all the parents. We actually, as part of our program evaluation, continuous evaluation, we survey our students uh, directly and we ask them questions of that have to do with their reading, their math, but also their social emotional uh, relationships, because that's also a part of Sunday Stars is that those students who did not have a typical school experience did not develop strong social emotional relationships with their peers during that time. Um, And what we found is that 89% of students felt more confident in reading, 100% of students have a positive relationship with their lead instructor or teen reading ambassador. And 100% of students report having positive relationships with their peers. So that's a really great uh, opportunity to get the student perspective about how are they feeling with this program. Um, A lot of times we hear from parents, we hear from teachers, but we wanna know directly from those kids and youth involvement is very centric to the way we run this program as well. So we don't want them to be an aspect of the program. They are the program. So we want it to be benefiting them as much as possible. For more stories on COVID-19 and libraries, check out our three years later special report in the March-April issue of American Libraries, now online. Next episode, we're discussing sexual and reproductive health information. Is there a story or topic you'd like us to cover? Let us know. Thanks for listening.